Great to be with you today as we celebrate 150 years of camp meeting at Camp Syker. My name is Lane Lohman, and what an honor it is for me to be a part of the preaching team this year. I want to ask you a question today as we begin the sermon. What is the unmistakable will of God for every person listening to my voice today? When you go to the Word of God, you will discover the answer is twofold. Peter and Paul both respond with a clear answer. Here's what Peter has to say regarding that question. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then the Apostle Paul adds the second part of the answer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. If we were in a regular service, an in-person service, and I were to ask you to stand and give a personal testimony, how would you respond? What would you say in your own personal testimony? How would you explain and describe what Christ has done in your life? The Apostle Paul had a strong testimony about what Christ had done in his life. It's found in our focus verse for this sermon. He said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to speak to you in this sermon on the subject of sanctification. Sanctify, to set apart for a sacred purpose. Purify, to be free from sin, to consecrate. Sanctification, the state of growing in divine grace as a result of Christian commitment after conversion. Interestingly enough, the source of those definitions is from a secular dictionary, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Oswald Chambers observes regarding sanctification, it is not a question of whether God is willing to sanctify me. Is it my will? Am I willing to let God do in me all that has been made possible by the atonement and sacrificial death of Jesus? Am I willing to let Jesus be made sanctification in me and to let the life of Jesus be so manifested in my mortal flesh? John Wesley made this observation regarding sanctification. He said, from long experience and observation, I am inclined to think that whoever finds redemption in the blood of Jesus, whoever is justified, has the choice of walking in the higher or lower path. I believe the Holy Spirit at that time sets before him the more excellent way and incites him to walk therein, to choose the narrowest path in the narrow way to aspire after the heights and depths of holiness 
after the image of God. Several years ago, I was conducting a revival meeting in a northern state, and I preached on the subject of sanctification. And after that service was over, a young adult lady walked up to me and she said, Lane, I am so glad that you preached on that subject tonight. Because after I started attending this church and the church where I was conducting the revival meeting was a holiness church from one of the mainline holiness denominations. She said, after I started attending this church, people would walk up to me and they would ask me if I had been saved and sanctified. She said, I always answered in the affirmative while not really understanding what the latter meant. I fear that that's true in so many of our church circles today. There are those who profess relationship with Jesus Christ, but they have no knowledge of the work of grace that we call sanctification. Then there are those who have no idea about sanctification because the church they may attend, they've never heard it preached, never heard it taught. I fear that in recent years, we have failed to teach biblical truth regarding the sanctified life in preference for a more user-friendly version of Christianity, ignoring what is the obvious will of God for every person who has genuinely trusted Christ for forgiveness. We do not have a specific timeline of the Apostle Paul's own personal spiritual journey, but it's very obvious in light of the passage of Scripture that I quoted a moment ago in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that Paul, following his conversion on the road to Damascus, he came to a deeper spiritual place that gave birth to the testimony of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'd never seen it before, but I believe as I look closer at this verse of Scripture and with the help of so many wonderful scholars, I believe that the Holy Spirit, through the pen and personal testimony of the Apostle Paul, gives us a clear and concise picture of what sanctification is, and that we can have not only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we can also have a deeper walk with Him that is not only possible, but it's also expected. Now, here's the propositional thought for this message. It is significant that Paul had not only met Jesus, we know that, on the road to Damascus, but now he testifies to having been crucified with Jesus. You do understand that there is a difference between meeting Jesus and being crucified with Jesus. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. The surrendered, sanctified life, I believe, has something to do with dying. But then he continues by saying, nevertheless, I live. The surrendered, sanctified life has something to do with living. And then he concludes by saying, and Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And with that statement, I believe that sanctification has something to do with Christ likeness. Let's break those three statements down. Let's look first of all to the statement that says sanctification has something to do with dying. I have been crucified with Christ. Now we've already made note of the fact that scripture points out and confirms that the apostle Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was a clear cut 
encounter with Jesus Christ. But then somewhere along his own spiritual journey, he comes to a deeper realization of what Christ wants to do in his life. Other than just meeting him, now he is testifying to have, having been crucified with him. I believe this reality in the Apostle Paul's life is more graphically expressed in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And those verses read like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, let it be understood that the death to which Paul is referring is not that death that comes to the physical, but rather that death that comes, as he noted, to the body of sin. Now, in our evangelical circles today, there are those who would teach that sin is located somewhere in your physical anatomy, and that this inherited condition is attached to your, your skin or running through your bloodstream or in your bone marrow or in your brain tissue. But I submit to you that you will not find this body of sin in your bloodstream or your muscles or your bone marrow. It is in that God-shaped spiritual DNA that we all, all have called the soul, that internal, in eternal part of every one of us. C.S. Lewis suggests that we are not human beings who possess a soul, but rather we are souls who happen to be housed in human flesh. There's a classic illustration of what I'm trying to convey to you. It's told a story about a Presbyterian preacher's wife who was invited by her sister to go to an old-fashioned holiness camp meeting. She gained permission from her husband to go to that camp meeting, and she made her way down to Flowbilla, Georgia, the Indian Springs Holiness Camp Meeting. And while she was there visiting with her sister, she listened and got in on the preaching of Dr. Henry Clay Morrison. And during that camp meeting, she heard sermons on the sanctified life, the spirit-filled life, what it meant to die out to self-centeredness. And she saw people go forward and seek this experience personally. She heard others stand and testify that they had been saved and sanctified, some for many years. And then upon returning home, she thought about this. Her heart began to hunger to know what she had heard preached and what she had heard testified to. And so one day after returning home, she walked into the office of her Presbyterian preacher husband and said, honey, I've heard about this work of grace called sanctification. I was wondering would you explain this to me and help me understand it? I want to experience it for myself. And he turned and looked at his wife and he said, I should have warned you. When you went down to that holiness camp, those holiness people, they mean well, but you can't really be sanctified until you die. And then he proceeded to tell her this. He said, if I'm alive, when you come down to die, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get down by your deathbed and I'll pray that as you cross the dividing line of worlds, you'll be sanctified. Well, she was almost heartbroken because she wanted to know this work of grace now. Well, wouldn't you know, she got sick, so sick that she had to go to bed. And so they summoned the family doctor, and those were the days when doctors would come to the home. And he examined the Presbyterian preacher's wife and came out with the conclusion that she's going to be fine. I think she's just got some kind of flu bug, and she'll be all right after a few days. Give her this medicine, and she'll be fine. 
Well, she didn't get better after a few days. As a matter of fact, her condition worsened with each passing day to the point that they had to recall the doctor to see what was wrong. And after a thorough examination, the doctor came out and told her Presbyterian preacher husband, I don't know what it is, but I do know this is a physician. Your wife is going to die. And there is nothing that I or the medical profession can do about it. Well, that dear lady on a, what appeared to be her deathbed overheard what the doctor told her husband. And so when the doctor left with what energy she had remaining, she summoned her husband to her side. And she said, honey, I heard what the doctor told you. He said, I'm going to die. And do you remember what you told me the other day? You told me that if you were around when I came down to die, you would pray with me so that I might be sanctified. I want you to keep your promise. And the Presbyterian preacher, husband, thought to himself, well, the least I can do is grant a dying woman her last wish. And so he got down by her bed. And even though he didn't really understand it all himself, he began to pray that his wife might be sanctified. Well, she didn't need him to help her come to that place of the consecrated life because she was open, she was ready, she was hungry. And she began to pray. What she prayed, I don't know. But whatever it was, God came and on what appeared to be her deathbed, gloriously, wonderfully sanctified her. Well, she didn't die. As a matter of fact, she took a turn for the better. And it wasn't long until she was calling for nourishment. It wasn't long until she was sitting up in bed. And it wasn't long until she was out doing what she normally would do. And then one day, after she was back to full health, she walked into her husband's office and said, Honey, what I have experienced with sanctification is so wonderful. I was wondering, what am I supposed to do now? I don't want to die. Neither do I want to give it up. And in frustration, he just turned and looked at her and said, well, just keep it for all I care. And keep it, she did. And lived a beautiful, sanctified life in front of her husband. Well, several weeks passed, months passed. Then she received word that the great Dr. Morrison was coming to their city for revival services at the Methodist Church. So she prevailed upon her husband to go to the revival meeting. And so they went to the Methodist Church one night and had to stand up against the wall because it was standing room only. And that night, Dr. Morrison preached on the sanctified life. And somehow or another, as it often happens in the holiness movement, the grapevine was working and someone had conveyed the story of this Presbyterian preacher's wife who had gotten sanctified on what appeared to be her deathbed. And so Dr. Morrison had heard the story, just as I related it to you a few moments ago, not realizing it, though he told the story, the principles of the story were standing there in that service that night. And when he finished telling the story, that Presbyterian preacher who was a part of that story interrupted Dr. Morrison and said, Dr. Morrison, I'm the Presbyterian preacher in that story that didn't believe you could be sanctified before you died. And he said, this is my wife who was wonderfully sanctified and I see it in her life. She's living proof that it can be a reality. And he said, I was wondering if I came to the altar, would you pray with me so that I might be sanctified? And that Presbyterian preacher went to the altar and Dr. Morrison prayed with him and he made the consecration complete. That's not the end of that story because that man's name was J.O. McClurkin. And he went over into the state of Tennessee and started a bunch of little holiness churches. Then he started a holiness Bible college. And that college today is known as Quebec Nazarene University. I'm glad today that sanctification is not a dying grace, not something we have to wait until after we die to experience it. We can know it right now. But it is a death to something. It's a death, as Paul stated in the book of Romans. It's a death to the body of sin. It's a death 
to the self-will. And it creates a problem for so many people because prior to sanctification, we want to be in charge. We want to be the one that calls the shots, so to speak, that lives life the way we want it to be lived. Even after we've been converted, uh, there is still that entity inside of us. The Bible calls it the carnal nature that must be faced, must be dealt with, must be surrendered. And I will tell you, my friend, you will never cease to be self-centered until your life becomes centered in someone else, namely Jesus Christ. Again, Oswald Chambers says it so well. Have I made this decision about sin, that it must be killed right out in me? It takes a long time to come to a moral decision about sin, but it is the great moment in my life when I do decide that just as Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world, so sin must die out in me. Not curbed, not suppressed, or counteracted, but crucified. No one can bring anyone else to this decision. We may be earnestly convinced, religiously convinced, but what we need to do is come to the decision that Paul forces here. Haul yourself up. Take time alone with God. Make the moral decision and say, Lord, identify me with thy death until I know that sin is dead in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Sanctification means being made one with Jesus so that the disposition that ruled him will rule, rule us. But then he goes on and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He just said he was dead. He died to that body of sin. But now he says, I am alive. It sounds like a paradox. Sounds like a contradiction. But as Oswald Chambers remarks, he says, the individuality remains, but the mainspring, the ruling disposition, is radically altered. The same human body, but the old satanic right to myself is replaced by the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, now the Apostle Paul, even though he had met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, now he can testify, I've been crucified with Christ, and he is more alive than he has ever been before. Now here's the balance that we find in sanctification. There is more that we need to understand. You see, we've often talked about sanctification being an instantaneous work of grace, which it is. There has to be a beginning point. But we have failed in relating the truth that there is not only instantaneous cleansing of the heart, there is also a process that continues in dealing with those elements of our lives as we grow in grace from day to day. You see, the consecration that I have today may not be good enough for the temptations that I face tomorrow. And there will be those times when I will have to say, when the enemy comes, when there is an issue in my life and I wonder what I'm to do about it, I have to realize, I have to turn it over to the Lord. That's something I didn't realize he did not have, but now I do. And so I give it over to him full well. And we do not resist in giving him any and everything that he points out in our life. I was preaching a camp meeting some years ago. And I preached a message on the alternative lifestyle, which is a message on sanctification, exchanging lives with Jesus Christ. And after the message, a lady walked up to me and she said, so, when I die to self, that changes my personality. I quickly responded, absolutely not. 
Because the Bible says that each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, when you make the consecration complete, you come alive in resurrection power, die to the old self-centeredness, put the body of sin on the altar, as Paul said in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present yourself. Once we have done that, we come alive in the Holy Spirit, and we allow that Holy Spirit to take the uniqueness of who you are, and he will perform his perfect will inside of you. It's what Paul means in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. His natural individuality has been broken, and his personality has, has been united with his Lord, not merged, but united. Ye shall be free indeed, free in essence, free from the inside. Yes, we've been freed from the guilt of sin when we were converted, but now we're free from the power of sin. But we also need to remember that while we're now more alive than we've ever been before, sanctification does not dehumanize us. In the words of my good friend, Dr. Thomas Hermes, he says, sanctification will not give you perfect patience and perfect poise. Sanctification will not change you to the point as you grow in grace, you will grow in maturity, but there are going to be those times to where you may have to go back and say, I'm sorry for something I said, something that I did. There is a place for repentance in the sanctified life. You see, the ability to cope and deal with the vicissitudes of life comes through the maturing process, not at the crisis moment of unconditional surrender. The Bible clearly teaches that tribulation worketh patience. Again, Dr. Hermes makes the statement, and what a statement it is. You will never be so holy that you cease to be human. I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then finally, sanctification has something to do with dying, something to do with living, and then sanctification has something to do with Christ-likeness. Christ liveth in me, which I now live in the flesh. Not the life which I long to live, pray to live, but the life I now live in my mortal flesh, the life that people can see. And I live it by the faith of the Son of God. This faith is not Paul's faith. It's not your faith. It's the faith of Jesus Christ that he imparts into us. It's a supernatural faith. It's no longer faith in faith, faith in a belief, but faith which has overleaped all conscious bounds, the identical faith of the Son of God. We often say that sanctification creates Christ-likeness. That's not to say that we're going to be just like Christ all the time, every time. But as we surrender ourselves to him, we will be more like him than we could ever be in our own strength. Am I willing to let Jesus Christ be made sanctification in me and let the life of Jesus be made manifest in my mortal flesh? 
Here's the proof that it's happened in your life. The proof that I have been through crucifixion with Jesus is that I have a decided likeness to him. The incoming of the Spirit of Jesus into me readjusts my personal life to God. The resurrection of Jesus has given him authority to impart the life of God to me. And my experimental life, my daily experiences, must be constructed on the basis of his life. I can have the resurrection life of Jesus now, and it will show itself in holiness. This is the will of God. Paul confirms it. Your sanctification. My wife and I were conducting a revival meeting in a small free Methodist church in Birds, Illinois, several years ago. We'd never been to the church before, and we didn't know the people, and they really didn't know us. We knew the pastor and his wife. So we started this revival service on a Sunday morning, and they were a bit distant because they didn't know us, and we didn't know them. And as the Lord helped us, I preached. And then on Tuesday night, that would be the fourth service of five services, I preached on the subject of sanctification. And when I gave the invitation and invited people to come and make that consecration complete and gave them instruction on how to exchange lives with the Lord and present themselves a living sacrifice to him, I saw an old man in the very back of the sanctuary get to his feet and make his way toward the altar. And when that happened, it broke the revival wide open. It was a family church, and he seemed to be the spiritual patriarch of that congregation. And so when he came forward, others began to move to the place of prayer. At the end of that service, I gave opportunity for testimony. And that man stood to his feet at the back of the sanctuary. He was 84 years old. He said, last year, he said, I gave my heart to the Lord. Imagine that. At the age of 83, gave his heart to the Lord. He said, last year I gave my heart to the Lord, and all year long I just knew that there had to be more. And he said, tonight I discovered what the more is. There is more. Thank God for redeeming grace, but thank God also for sanctifying grace. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today for your love in our lives. I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for the way that you've helped us in these days. And I pray that you would just come and minister throughout these services that we have during the camp meeting. Thank you for the message and thank you for the folks that listen. And I pray that this would be a great time of spiritual growth for those who are a part of Camp Psyker 2020. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. May God bless you.